0: At yeah, so if you're joining us online, thank you so much, uh, and uh, great to see so many people in the room every week. There's, there's a few more, but we want you to know we got room for you, so if you're uh, interested in coming, we're spreading people out, uh, but we're always going to be here online. So, hey, I, I wanted to invite Ben up here this morning at the beginning because we were having a conversation in our programming meeting as we were planning worship, and
1: what a great, incredible worship set. Thank you so much. Gosh. Yeah, I- we had church. Yeah. We had church. Th- Thankfully, this story is not going to get me worked up. Yeah. I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that I got, tu- that that's got tough. us worked up. It's tough to sing when you're crying. So just
0: how sing. many of you have ever, you ever, you remember going to the shopping mall when we went to malls? You remember that? And just sat down and done people watching? Anybody done that? Or the airport? Yep. It's like the best place to do people watching. And so we were kind of talking about people watching, and that made us, that took us to a conversation about this website. Called People of Walmart. That's right,
1: yeah. Because what we're
0: talking about today is how we view people and write stories in our minds about people. Right. And you had a story that I I wanted wanted to ask you if you would share. Yeah.
1: um, So I don't know if you remember the time, that, that really key moment in history where we all had phones that had cameras on them. And we were like whoa what can we do with these things right yeah. and like not that we didn't grow up with that but all of a sudden that's like the, these sites like people of walmart started popping up because you'd be out in public and you'd see something and be like whoa <laughs> and so we'd, get, we'd snap a little shot and they people started posting that stuff up there and i remember like falling on that site and just thinking it was really funny and wow look at you know look at what we were seeing on this site yeah.
0: and they wore that at yeah, Walmart, wore, right? Wow!
1: Like, or they're doing that in yeah. public. So, um, and I remember, but there's this kind of sense of posting that stuff up there, and uh, and sure enough, like, so one of my friends was like, "Hey, I I was in Walmart and I snapped a shot. You'll never believe. You got to see this." And and they, she came up and showed me this. I'm like, "Whoa, whoa! I can't believe that's happening, right?" And and we said we should. I said we should we should post this, right? We should we should put this up there. Um, uh, because we really we, we kind of kidded ourselves into thinking maybe if we post this up there, this won't become a trend, right? Like whatever that person's doing, it just needs to stop. And so like we kidded ourselves on that. We said this is funny. And long story short, he sends me the the picture, and and I, I at least had the decency to go, you know what? Uh, I'm going to blur not only the face of my friend, but I'm I'm actually going to mess around with that. I'm not I'm going to make sure that person's face is not on here. Um, But I, you know, justified in my mind that this is gonna be fun, this is funny, ha ha ha. So we posted it or I sent it in and they said, hey, put together a caption, like what you would put under here. And it was, what I did was cheesy and more lighthearted and you know, kept it light. I didn't hear back from them for like probably, I think it was a couple months. I finally got this email back. I said, hey, congratulations. We accepted your submission to peopleofwalmart.com. And I was, you know, inside, I'm like, oh, cool, you know, I'm going to be famous. You've so, really made it. You know, I've made it. Like, yeah. this is my big break, right? Um, and so underneath it said, you know, but we didn't like your caption. Uh, it was, it didn't capture the, the, the spirit of the site. It was too cheesy and it was too kind. And I said in my, that was that moment where you go, oh, what did I do? And I mean, really, it was like, oh, no. And sure enough, visited the site pulled it up and what they wrote underneath the caption was a true, like it was a Holy Spirit moment for me because they wrote some of the most cruel and words that just can't be repeated here about this person. And I realized for a moment there, sure. I blurred her face out and I kidded myself into thinking I was doing the world a favor by pointing what she was doing out, but it wasn't right. And in my spirit, and the Holy Spirit just like, hey, that's not right. When you look down on other people, even though no matter what they're doing, like you're, you're putting yourself in a position you shouldn't do. And I remember at that moment just hanging my head. Yeah. And, and I, I never told anybody from that point on. I was like, I don't even want people to go to that site anymore because the heart was just to look at people, find ways to look down on them, and belittle them. And it became crystal clear to me in that moment. And I, I can't believe I didn't see it before. Yeah. But sometimes you've got to make a mistake. and yeah. Sometimes you've got to get pulled into this and go, yeah, I should never have done that. And, um, and so that was just, I'm so thankful that God is gentle and kind. And let me learn that in, a, in, a, in this kind of a way that um, it just changed my life on how I see people. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, no one else in this room has ever judged anyone. Yeah. So, I mean, I've never judged anybody <laughs> since. I'm a perfect so, person, Carson. And so here's, here's what made us think of this. This verse that we were talking about from 2 Corinthians 5, and that's what we're going to be in today, the end of 5 and the beginning of 6. It said, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And what we realize is that we have all done that we have all looked at people and what they're wearing or what they're doing or whatever. Still do it. Where they're from yeah. and we've written this story and this narrative about them. Like we figured this whole thing, we got their life story in our minds. Now I wanna to talk to you about one other thing that I may have done this with you. All right. We as fair, a staff, fair enough. the rest of our staff, I just want you to know Ben, we are personified by this.
1: Okay, I know, I know where this is going.
0: And we, know text, and we text each other Ben, and it's blue. Until we pull up your name, Ben.
1: You know what? <clears throat> I'm feeling the judgment. And here. it's green. This is uncomfortable. And, and we, Carter. This is uncomfortable. We can't even give our staff a
0: funny name. Uh, so I just want you to know we've judged you that way, but we apologize. I can't take it anymore. Man. <laughs>
1: Thank
0: hey, you. thanks for sharing that story. Thanks Thank for sharing that story. So we've all done that, right? We've all got stories. Listen, we all make up narratives in our minds when we see people wearing some of these logos, right? You like one, but you don't like any of the others, right? and if And if you're not an SEC person, then you dislike all of them. The only thing that these people can agree on is we like the Braves. That's it, right? <laughs> but we've all got this. We write these. We do it locally like we decide when we look around birmingham what it what hoover people are like or what iron people are like or what mountain brook people are like or what fair maybe you're a little out and you're fairfield or bessemer or pelham or what vestavia hills people are like or what people in the city in that actually have a birmingham address are like we write narratives in our mind about what those people are and they're kind of funny when we play high school football but Sometimes we think they're true. Uh, We do this when it comes to success, what we think success looks like, about how someone dresses. Have you ever noticed that every presidential candidate dresses the same no matter what party they're from? Have you noticed that? Every male presidential candidate wears a dark suit, white shirt, red or blue tie, and every female presidential candidate wears a bright, solid color women's suit. Do you know why they wear that? Because some focus group has told them that that's what you and I think success looks like. So that's how they dress. And we've done that for years based on how people dress, what kind of job they have, what kind of house they have, what kind of car they drive, right? Do they drive a Beamer, a Beetle, or a Beater? (laughs) And sometimes we make up our mind about what kind of person they are because of that. We do this generationally don't we? I mean, we got the baby boomers and the millennials. They seem to be the ones that do the most arguing. And the millenni- if, a ba- if a boomer says something that maybe is a little cheesy or not cool, then the millennials say, okay, boomer. Right? But that's really derogatory. And the boomers respond, hey, you may be wearing flannel, but you've never actually picked up an ax. Right? <laughs> and here's little old me. I'm right in the middle, I'm generation Xer, uh, I'm right in the middle, you know, the little forgotten generation, and now we got the generation, Gen Z that's coming behind that. we do that with, with that. Of course, the good news is, is we never ever do this with political parties. Of course we do. Republicans make up their minds about what kind of people they think Democrats are and we write a story about them and Democrats make up their mind about what kind of people Republicans are and both of them make up their minds about what kind of people, independent people, like they don't believe anything, right? That's what we say. We, we write nor- stories and narratives in our minds. The bottom line is it comes to this. We write stories in our minds for people that are different from us. If they have different morals, different values, different lifestyles, they're just different. And in our minds, we view them, we regard them from a worldly point of view, as Paul said. And of course, right now, at the forefront of our minds, is how we've done this with race. And I mean, there's no denying that this has been true about race in our country, There's no denying that we have a history in our country that people have been regarded differently because of the color and the tone of their skin, simply because of pigment. There's no denying that. And yet at the same time, right now, and I believe this to be true in our church, certainly at Mountaintop, is that every single one of us would 100% believe that racism is a sin, that racism is wrong. And yet, despite our agreement on that, now it's not just about the color of skin, it's about how we even think about this issue. What angle we come to this issue. And our emotions are sky high with this right now. Our emotions are sky high. Right? We, um, we mentioned last Sunday that we're beginning some conversations about race and I'm white and almost all of our leadership is white and um, most of our staff is white and so I really want to position myself as a a white person to listen to people for whose experiences I have I have no idea the kind of pain that they've gone through Uh, but we want to begin conversations between people from all kinds of backgrounds and if you're white and you're thinking and you're, you're like me. Well, I think this. All right? And you're thinking, well, I'm not racist. And I, I, I don't think I'm better than anybody. I, I don't think that I'm better. And here's what I can just, if, you're, if, you're, if that's you, here's what I can tell you. I don't think there's a single African-American person at Mountaintop Community Church that wants you to apologize for being white. And if you're African-American, I don't think that there's a single white person in our church that doesn't want you to be treated with the honor and dignity that anyone would be treated with and doesn't want a better world than probably the one they grew up in. And yet, and yet, our emotions are high on this. So here's what I want to say to you. I want all of you to be a part of the conversation because we're in this together. We all want to be, so we're all invited to the dialogue. We're going to have some news. We're, I mean, this isn't like a one-time thing. We're going to have some, some ways for everyone to be involved, for everyone to listen, for everyone to learn, and for everyone to share from their heart. But let's, be, let's just be serious about this right now. Let's be honest. Our spirits right now with this are on high alert with this issue. And we are regarding people from a worldly point of view in ways around this issue that are just like, we're on high alert right now. Which hashtag did they use? Did they use Black Lives Matter? Did they say Blue Lives Matter? Did they say All Lives Matter? Oh, I know what I think about them now. I, just, I know exactly what they are, who they are, and what they believe. I can write their whole life story because of the hashtag they used. And for some of you that are African American, and you're sitting there, and you are hurt because you see see some friends post about the riots, but they didn't say anything about George Floyd, and it hurts. And it's easy for you to form an opinion and write their story based on that one fact. Some of you in this room, you are heartbroken for George George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and the names, the list of names goes on and on. And you are also heartbroken for business owners that have lost so much, not just because of COVID-19, but now because of looting and rioting. And you're wondering why you have to pick sides. And some of you who are my white brothers and sisters, you hear the word privilege, and in your mind you go, hey, if you saw where I grew up and how I came up and what my life was, you wouldn't use privilege because I had to work hard to get everywhere I came. And it's easy for you to form an opinion because someone used the word privilege and you have never felt privileged in your whole life. We're on high alert right now. It's super easy for us to form an opinion and write a story. And some of you who have olive skin, who have Asian backgrounds or Hispanic backgrounds, and you're just wondering where in the world you fit in the conversation. And we want you in the conversation. But here's what I want to tell you. Whether it's about something as serious and heavy as race or as silly as sports, we have all made someone feel less than essential. And we have all been made to feel less than essential because of something that maybe was completely out of our control. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the scriptures about how God says that we are all essential in Christ. We've been really focusing on us. But today, I want to turn that a little bit and talk to the church about how God's people must make it our life's mission to let the whole world know that they are also essential in Christ and because of Christ. And we're going to read a letter from the Apostle Paul called 2 Corinthians because that was his second letter. This is his second correspondence with a group of Christians in a community called Corinth. And it's it's a letter that's that's difficult. And this is a message just for Christians. So if you're sitting at home and you're a Christian or you're sitting in this room and you're a Christian, this is for you. And um, we have to do it. Now, the good news, if you're not a believer, if you're watching, maybe someone invited you and you logged on today to check us out for the first time, you're not a believer, or you came today because you're kind of curious, but you're not a believer, good news for you is like, you are totally 100% off the hook for this. You don't have to do it. But if you are a believer, you and I have to take what we're going to read seriously. So let me give you full disclosure about myself, Okay. When it comes to this book, when it comes to this book, this Bible, I'm very conservative. I just can't get away from this book because God's word has proven itself to me faithful over and over and over and over again. And so a few have asked me this week, a few people have asked me this week because we started talking about all the racial tension that we're going through and how we want to work toward reconciliation. A, lot of, a few people asked me this week, so does this mean that we're going to become a political church? I mean, are we going to start? And, and my answer this is like, no. We're not people of a political party. We're not even people of a constitution. We are people of the book. And so when it comes to something like racial equality, We don't believe that racial equality is important because the Declaration of Independence says all men are created equally. We believe racial equality is important because Genesis says men and women are made in God's image. So this this is not, anything we talk about is rooted firmly in the scriptures. We are people of the book, and that is the kind of church that has stood the test of time for 2,000 years. And 28 years ago, Pastor Bill Elder and his sweet wife, Linda, and I hope you guys are watching, happy birthday, mountaintop, that's the kind of church they founded. And as long as I'm pastor here, that's the kind of church we're gonna be. Rooted in the scriptures. People of the book. But, This book challenges cultural ideologies. It does not line up perfectly with conservative politics or liberal politics. It is deeper than that. It it asks us, as Paul said, to think on things not from a worldly point of view, not from a point of view that is shaped by CNN or Fox News, Not by a point of view that is shaped by what we read on social media and the narrative that our friends share. Not by anything that is shaped by a national message. This is about a kingdom message that is not of this world. And so we are charged, we are charged as people who are not of this world to bring this kingdom to the world until his kingdom comes. That's what we are called to do. And if we're going to be a diverse church, if we're going to be a diverse church, kingdom life is messy. Churches that haven't fought for this beautiful diversity don't have to have these difficult conversations. Because if you all think alike, look alike, and vote alike, you don't need to be one in Christ because you're just one in the world. But we're going to be comfortable being uncomfortable because this reflects a heart of God in the kingdom that is not of this world and a unity that does not come from this world. So we are going to work hard, work really hard to be a church for people with black skin, brown skin, tan skin, olive skin, peach skin, whatever skin color we have, to be a church for Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives and to be a church for boomers and Gen Xers and millennials and Gen Zers and the new alpha generation that's being born right now in our young family families we're going to be a church for all people because we refuse to regard anyone from a worldly point of view we are not one because we are the same we are one because we are forgiven the same in Christ we might even figure out how to be a roll-tied war eagle church with a bulldog preacher all right and we're even praying about letting big 10 and acc fans in um Everybody's welcome. See, in the kingdom, we're all essential. So essential that Christ died for all. Every single person on the face of the planet was on Jesus' mind when he was on the cross. Every single person. You were, you were at home, I was, every Republican president ever was, every Democratic president ever was, every liberal senator was, every conservative congressman was, every independent congresswoman was, Everyone with every tone of skin you can possibly imagine was? Every good cop was? Every bad cop was? Every peaceful protester was? Every rioter was? Every... Mask-wearing, super hand-washing person who's really concerned about COVID-19 was, and every person who thinks COVID-19 was overblown by the media was. I know what some people say, no, but I just disagree with some of their actions. I just disagree with some of their life, some of their lives, some of their choices. Aren't you glad, aren't you glad that when Jesus was on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane and having a conversation with his heavenly Father about how difficult it was in his heart, he was sweating blood to go to the cross and die for the sin of the world and take on the wrath, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, Well, Dad, I'd like to die for them, but I just disagree with their lifestyle so much. You see, we actually believe the opposite of that. As Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8, that that the love of God is demonstrated to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like That is what we believe, that Jesus disagreed with my lifestyle and your lifestyle and your actions and my actions and my attitudes and your attitudes and my choices and your choices. He disagreed with all of that. He looked at our sinfulness and said, I'm going to die for him anyway. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the whole first part of it, that's what Paul begins asking. He just begins with that message that Christ died for all. And if Christ died for all, it has implications for everyone that believes that. And I just want to just walk through this passage to kind of close our time out today and ask some questions, sandwiched between two statements. And so the statement, first statement that I just want to share with you is this, that I have never locked eyes with someone not made in God's image. Someone in Walmart that I wanna chuckle at because I'm like, she wore that. Someone in a car that's not quite as cool as mine. Someone that looks differently, someone that thinks differently, someone that believes everyone I agree with and disagree with, everyone I like and don't like, everyone I vote like and would never vote like. They are all image bearers, which is why Paul wrote this, that, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Here's the worldly point of view. If I disagree with you or don't like what you say, I just cancel you. Cancel, don't have to listen, turn you off, unfriend, mute, block, run you out of town. But Paul says, I can't listen to what TV or social media should think I, should say I think about people or that people. Paul says, we look at every single person on the face of the earth through the lens of another world, a better world, not from a worldly point of view, but from a point of view that is from another world. That is why for believers, our approach to everything that seems like a social problem isn't really social but spiritual because we are all spiritual beings. Our approach is always kingdom thinking. So here's the question I just want to ask you, and I'm asking myself them, okay? Okay? How could I look at no one from a worldly point of view from now on? So that's in your notes. If you're taking notes, if you digitally, you'll get those later today in email. If we got your email, these are questions, but these are just ones I just want you to think about. How could I look, and I love this, from now on. Paul said, from now on. I'm really just turning his phrases into questions. So if you don't like these, blame Paul. How could I not look? From now on, like ever again, what would it take for me to see people this way? For me to never write a story in my mind based on someone's car or clothes or language or background or, or anything? That I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to break through my own pride and prejudices? I'm going to, and I'm, listen. When I look at fellow believers, and they say something a little sideways, and in your mind, you're going, I don't believe i would said that. Or they post something you disagree with. Or they cross a line. Or they're not as sensitive as they should be. Am I go- How could I not look at them from a worldly point of view the way I want to react, but I could view them through the eyes of Christ? See them as God sees them. I know what the world's response would be, to what they said, what they posted, what they did. But I want to respond the way someone from another world would. Now, I don't know about you, but here's what I know about me. If, if I'm not going to do this ever again, then I, my whole brain is going to have to get rewired. I'm going to have to be made new. Well, turns out that's what Paul said. So he said, you'll have to become a new creation. Paul said, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. You see, there was a time we thought Christ was just a prophet, just a real good guy, just a great teacher. Not anymore. We figured out that there is another world kind of way to look and think. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So as I come to Christ, that my whole old way of thinking, the way I would have thought about people different than me, who think differently, vote differently, act differently, believe differently, has totally changed. There is a new way. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You're a new creation. You're brand new. No matter your, there's a the good news is this, no matter your past, your background, your mistakes, your sins, you are reconciled with God. And this term reconciliation, that man, we've talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks in the world. It's been a part of the people of faith for a long time, for 2,000 years. And it means God's reconciling work with the whole world. Now when I think about the term reconciling, what's anybody think about? Your bank account, right? You can't, like, I gotta reconcile the numbers, kinda make things right. This is a little different. The Greek word for reconciliation is katalaso. And it means to, That's the simplest way to explain it, it means to exchange. But listen, this is going to be more than an hour. we got a lot to talk about. Everybody just be okay with that? <clears throat> if you're at home, get you another cup of coffee, all right? And it means the easiest way to think about, would like, if you were to exchange American coins with foreign coins, you would exchange money. But And that's equal for equal. If you go to Great Britain or, or you go to South America or you go to Africa and, you you know, you got to spend some time there and exchange money, it's the, they eat, they're supposed to equal one another. But these didn't equal one another. God exchanged the life of his son for a relationship with you and me. And we couldn't do anything about it and we couldn't pay anything for it. We didn't deserve it. It was all because of God's grace and mercy. And he has given us, Paul says, not just me, not just pastors, not just our staff. He has given every single one of us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, we are charged with letting the world know that Christ has reconciled them. And that's why we can't view others, we can't regard them from a worldly point of view because Christ didn't regard us that way. So here's the question I just want to ask you. Have I fully embraced reconciliation with God through Christ as a new creation? Because if you haven't, this, none of this what I'm talking about will make sense today. If you are a Christian because you have some good morals, or you think you're a Christian because your mama and daddy told you to be a Christian, or you think you're a Christian because you grew up going to Sunday school, this won't make sense. This will only make sense if you realized that you are broken and sinful and helpless before an almighty and holy God, and he has reconciled all of a holy heaven and creation with you through the grace of his son, Jesus Christ. When you you get that, it breaks down all pride. It breaks down all pride because then I realize that every other person that I lock eyes with is just like me and they're they're just as messed up as I am and maybe I have received the reconciliation and they haven't yet, but my life's mission is to make sure that they do. Verse 20 and 21. 21. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. Now, Debbie, that translation is wrong. It's supposed to say the pastoral staff, then, is Christ ambassadors. We, you, me, all of us. Teenagers, you. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's the message, that's the gospel. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors, we are representatives, and Jesus needs us to be the righteousness of God for the sake of the world. It is not just the job of professional clergy. The day you got baptized, you got sent into ministry into your office, into your classroom, into your neighborhood, on your ball teams. So here's the question. If I'm the only ambassador for Christ someone ever meets, will God be able to make his appeal through me? If I am the only ambassador for Christ someone ever meets, will God be able to make his appeal through me? If my Facebook post is the only only Facebook post someone ever reads from a believer, will God be able to use me to make his appeal through me, even if they vote differently than me, or if they think differently than me about all that's going on in the world. That's what it means to be for Birmingham, friends. It is not a hashtag punchline or a food drive. It is a radical commitment every single day of our lives in every person that we come across. For them to say, "I I know what I think about Christians and I don't know what I think about what Christians believe but I know this one Christian and I know they're for me. And there's something different about them. And if I was ever going to talk to a Christian about my spiritual life, they'd be the one I'd talk to. And if I was ever going to go to church, I'd want to know what church they go to. You want know to be for Birmingham? Let's do that. We're almost done. Next, in the chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we are God, as God's co-workers. That blows me away. Because I want to be like, it's all about God. And Paul says, well, sort of, and you. We are God's coworkers. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. That means the grace you received wasn't just about you. It was about what you do with it. For he says, in the time of favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, 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 now. And our world needs it now. And then, he says, so we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. We get rid of anything that can stand in the way of the message. Paul says we're not interested in watering down the message. It's clear. Christ became sin he had no sin, but he became sin for us. Paul says, I'm not willing to let any secondary thing get in the way of a primary thing, and so here'd be the question I would ask you. Are there any stumbling blocks in my life that are discrediting my ministry to others? My lifestyle, my habits, my attitudes, my social media presence, my language, my assumptions that would discredit someone else from hearing the one message that I so desperately want them to hear. Paul would ask us, are you willing to get rid of it for the ministry to which you have been called? And you've been called to it, and I've been called to it. And you don't have to be on a church staff. And then so the last one says this. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Every way. And there is a litany after that in chapter six that I hope you'll read this week. and It is a litany of everything you could possibly imagine. And Paul says this is who we are. We commend ourselves in every way. We extend grace and we won't receive it in frame. We've been given a ministry. And here's pretty simple. People reconciled to God reconcile people to God. People that have been reconciled to God, we make it our work to reconcile other people to God. Listen up church, if anyone on planet earth feels less than essential, it's on us Christians. Because we believe Christ died for all. This is what we do. And people who have been who have been Truly reconciled to God, we commend ourselves in every way. Every time we step in the office, every time we go in the classroom, every time we are around the dinner table with that uncle. Do those of you at home have that uncle? Do you have that uncle or aunt? Every time we get in a conversation, every time we log on, we do it not to make a point and win an argument but to make a difference and win people because arguments don't go to heaven but people do and don't let that thing in your pocket become a stumbling block for the message and the ministry God gave you. That got messy for Jesus and it cost him his life and church, don't fool yourself that to think that it won't get messy for us and cost us something. But eternity is on the line because that is the mission of the church. And the church, the big C church, was God's plan A to reach the world. And brothers and sisters, there is no plan B. So let's get busy, friends. I don't know if you can tell, but we got a lot of work to do. Heavenly Father, I confess, Lord, that it's easy for me to regard people from a worldly point of view who think differently than me, see differently than me, but Lord, I just want to thank you for reconciling me personally through the death of your son and reconciling everyone in this room and Lord, we just want to come to you to confess the ways in which we put stumbling blocks in front of other people, the ways in which we, we don't take responsibility for the ministry that you have given us with the world. There's so much to fix. We know that socially. Uh, there, there's so much to fix. But Lord, we, we believe you've called us to fix the one thing spiritually that only the church can fix. And that's going to cause us to have to have conversations about what it means uh, to be a body of believers that are different and diverse. It's beautiful, Lord, and messy. So God, my prayer is that we would get to work. Lord, we're going we're gonna to worship you. And whatever junk we got, We just wanna leave it in this room. We wanna leave it under our feet in our living rooms.